We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Oregon Ducks demolish the Oregon State Beavers 31-7 to in their annual rivalry game. And now the Ducks are set for a rematch with the Washington Huskies in Las Vegas. We're breaking it down on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back. Like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Big, big week for the Ducks as they prepare for a Pac-12 championship against the Washington Huskies. But before we get into that and all it entails, we got to talk about what we saw on Friday night in Eugene. And joining me to break down Oregon's win is my guy, Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12. How we doing, man? We are doing a lot better than we were after last year's Civil War. It's a <laughs> little, just, just a little bit of an upgrade there. No doubt, no doubt. Well, super stoked to have you on the show uh, once again and stoked to get the opportunity to meet you this week in Las yes, Vegas sir. in person for the yeah, first well, time. Well, we should explain. People might not know that. Max and I have never yeah. met in person before. I have no idea how tall he is or how luscious that beard looks in real life. I have no clue. I only see what you are all seeing here on YouTube, but we'll finally be there covering the game at uh, at Allegiant Stadium on Friday. So stoked, stoked about that. Absolutely. And what's even weirder about the fact that we've never met is that Spencer went to Santa Clara, which is like right around where I grew up. Um, so even weirder, but um, super excited about that. And uh, man, it should be a fun one. But let's talk about this uh, Oregon, Oregon State game. Ducks win 31 to 7. There really wasn't a whole lot of doubt in this one, you know, 7 0 at the end of the first. But I think the Ducks were in control from, from start to finish and they really dominated the trenches. I think that's kind of where this one starts. Yeah, I think that's where the, the mission kind of started and ended for the Ducks going into this game after what happened last year, in which that Oregon State offensive line just manhandled the Oregon front seven. And there was a concerted effort, I think, from the coaching staff to not let that happen again, to have the players in the sort of mindset where that doesn't happen again. And, you know, that bore itself out. Like everything that they did game planning wise around that part of the game worked really well because Oregon was utterly dominant here. I mean, there was a, 
video going around. There were a couple videos going around uh, Twitter in the days after and kind of immediately during the, the game as well about Oregon just just manhandling a couple of the beeves. And, the, and by the way, they were down a couple of, of offensive linemen. I think they were – I know they were starting a backup left tackle. He had a tough day, as you would expect. You know, Mateo dog-walked him back into DJ for, for the Ducks' lone sack of the game. Birch and Dorless were having a field day. But e- even on the other side, Muwaga is a an all-conference caliber tackle for the Bees, and Jordan Birch was having his way with him. And then I think there was another video where Birch – uh, he came in off the edge on a stunt and just put the right guard straight on his rear end. There's another one of uh, the offensive line putting together a stack of orange jerseys. Like they just pushed them all to the ground and just kind of compiled them in one spot. It was on the Bucky Irving receiving touchdown. So there, there were a lot of moments like that where Oregon was just the better team up front. And that showed in the game when you control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, that, that's how it's going to look. You know, DJU was under constant pressure and Oregon was able to throw the ball at will. Why? Well, because Bo Nix is hard to tackle, but Bo Nix wasn't under pressure super often. I think there were a couple moments where his legs, you know, helped keep the play from from becoming a sack. But I, I think that that was just a really, really good performance from the Ducks on, on both sides. And I, I think the offensive and defensive lines are where that all started. No doubt. No doubt. I think the biggest statement that Oregon sent in this one, I think it's twofold. You have to start with the play of the defensive line, um, just stifling that Oregon State rushing attack. They only had a 53 yards on 24 carries. That comes out to 2.2 yards per carry. So Damian Martinez and, and Deshaun Fenwick, who, I mean, Fenwick only had one carry the whole game. So it was really Damian Martinez. He was he had to feel like he was just going up against a wall every time he had the ball. Um, so that was a massive statement for them. And then to, to talk about what the offensive line was able to do, Oregon State, I know you were talking about it on your show a little bit. They did a pretty good job taking away the run from mm-hmm. Oregon, but that's why this team's special. They're not one-dimensional. They said, okay, you want to do that? We're just going to throw it all over you. And I think the best play that really kind of um, put that into perspective was the – it was a kind of – it was a dump off to Bucky, but, like, Bo wasn't under pressure at all. Every offensive lineman was pancaking their assignment, and, like – I don't know. Just just the way that Bo kind of froze in the pocket on that one was like really cool to me. And um, I don't know. It seemed like it was a little bit of flair and like style points for that one. But Oregon was able to do exactly what they wanted to. Um, They did run Bo Nix a little bit, only six carries, but that was more, I think, than we've seen for most of the year. And he had that awesome touchdown run. So I really liked what we saw from Oregon on both sides of the ball. Um, and, And they were just, it's more of the same. Uh, of what we've seen this year, just a really balanced, efficient team. I, I feel like I'm kind of going back and forth between both sides of the ball, but uh, maybe I'm a little bit rusty. I haven't done this in a couple of days, so you'll have to forgive me. Yeah, you're all good. I, I think that the balance of this Oregon team has been on display really each of the last several weeks, and, and that's as the running game has deteriorated, by the way. Can you tell me, Max, the last time Oregon ran for 200 yards in a game? This year? Yeah. Uh you put me on the spot here. I'm going to go Washington State. You are correct, sir. Very good. It has been five games in a row that the Ducks have 
failed to hit the 200 yard mark. Whereas Which in the is first a huge six, number, by the way, it, it, it is. But in the first six games of the season, they ran for over 200 yards in five of those six games, including against the Huskies. And they did it just once in the final six games of the year. I think it's a testament to how high level Bo Nix is playing at how good Will Stein is, who is one of the five finalists for the Broyles award this year. I think it'll probably go to Sharon Moore at Michigan, but Stein being a finalist is a testament to what he has done. Dillingham wasn't even up for that award a season ago, I don't think. And he has done an outstanding job. And I think that Dillingham was really good. I like Will Stein better. I like his offense better than Kenny Dillingham's. And I think that, you know, he's a little bit more clever and creative on a couple of areas, but both have been, of course, exceptional for the Ducks because they've got great personnel. But I feel like Will Stein just knows how to use all of them. And that's just on display every week. Like Tez Johnson as a possession receiver over the middle, fantastic. Getting the ball to Troy Franklin in new creative ways with different route concepts. Utilizing the tight ends in really fun ways. The tight end screen game has come up once in each of the last three weeks, and it's come up with a big play for the Ducks. So I, I just love what he's done, calling plays for Oregon and orchestrating the offense. And, of course, Bo Nix is as cerebral of a quarterback as you'll find in all of college football. And he has put that on full display over the last, uh, really the entire season. But I think especially in the last several weeks. And you know what I love about those cinematic recaps that everybody enjoys and are just, I mean, so phenomenally well done and well put together is the way they incorporate. I don't, I don't know how they're getting it or how they're recording the audio from the coaches' headsets, but I love that part of it because that's just such a behind-the-scenes sort of deal that that fans don't get to see very often. And hearing, you know, I've always wondered, like, what do coaches say? What are the conversations like? Who's it? And, and, and hearing all the different voices that are in there, you know, Will Stein is the lead guy offensively, but Landing is talking as well. Like, hey, we got one timeout. Let's do this here. And then Stein dials up a play. I, I just think that the staff is in a really good spot with where they're operating on both sides of the football, particularly on offense and on defense. I think they've just got dudes. And, and I think that Chris Hampton is kind of the under-the-radar hero of the defense this year because he comes in and, and things have changed dramatically on third and fourth down. But, man, there there are just some big-time ball players on, on, on the defensive side of the football, and that's got to start with Dorless. Yeah, a lot of really good stuff that you just got into. I mean, we could talk a whole episode, I feel like, on those cinematic recaps. Um, oh, I, 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 I love how seeing... did we live before them? That's where I'm at now. Like that guy, you, you, if you're, if you're Oregon, they've become so well known for those and they're so popular and they're so well done and they're so great. You can never let that guy get hired to a different position elsewhere. You, 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 you can't let that happen. Well, it, it, no, absolutely not. You got to hang on to him. I think it's Scott Anderson's his name. I think he's the guy who's heading mm -hmm. up all that. But the, the yep. interesting part about those Spencer is like, so I've been covering the Ducks for about five years now. Um, and I feel like that's part of the reason it was so crazy to me when Crystal Ball left, because I was like, this is the only Oregon head coach that I've ever like, you know, kind of known, um, at least, you know, covering the team. Um, I like to think at a high level. Um, but I mean, we just, we just didn't get that access to, to Oregon. Um, even while I was, while, while I was in Eugene, you know, that that wasn't something that the that the ducks got so when i went out there to to visit for a week for the usc game that's why i asked landing you know how do you kind of draw that line between you know the secret sauce and giving the guy the fans um you know that behind the scenes look and he was i think the part that was cool was like he was just saying i wanted people to see you know how much goes into a win and it's kind of different each week and i love how we're seeing the the pregame meetings 
and then like you instantly see a highlight of what comes out. Like he was talking about the perimeter, and then you see Bo running on the perimeter with T Ferg blocking for him. So those are amazing. Um, but I wanted to get to your point about the offense and what you said about Will Stein liking the offense more than Dillingham's last year because when when he got hired, I mean, I'll be honest, I I didn't know who he was, and Oregon's offense was operating at such a high clip last year. I didn't like you probably didn't expect to be saying what you just said about Oregon's offense getting even better and you know you liking what Stein's doing. Um, so I mean, I got sent the the press release for him being a finalist for the Broyles Award. Just got some crazy numbers here that could kind of shed a little bit more of a light on where Oregon's at offensively. And then we'll get to some more defensive talk, Spencer, but they're leading the nation in passing offense, 351.4 yards per game completion percentage, 78.3% sacks allowed five first downs per game, 27.3 and scrimmage plays of 10 plus yards, 229. And then a little bit more numbers. And then I'll get your response here. Oregon is number two nationally in scoring offense, 45.3 points per game. Total offense, 540.3 yards per game. Uh, Fewest turnovers, six, and yards per carry. They're at number three, 5.84. I I don't know why, but I felt like when I was working this morning, it just kind of dawned on me um, just how crazy of a year they're having and how special of a season it's been for the Ducks. Yeah, I I think it's been unfolding kind of week by week in the way that the season has gone, you just kind of build up the anticipation after every game because you're going, okay, these guys are really, really good. And that's a good Oregon State football team, by the way. Make no mistake about it. Oregon made them look not very good. That's just the way that Oregon has been playing. And we've seen Oregon coaches have oftentimes their best year as a head coach in their second season in Eugene. And Boy, it feels like Dan Lanning is having one heck of a year right now. We don't know if it'll be his best uh, during his tenure at Oregon, however long that ends up being. I suspect it'll be quite a while, uh, especially you know in his second year. He's getting taste of like, okay, so this is what we can accomplish here uh, as as a head coach and as a staff with the Ducks. And there's still, you know, it feels like even more to come. But it, everything is working right now on both sides of the ball. I mean, situationally, they're great offense and defense they run the ball they stop the run they throw the ball they defend the pass they get after the quarterback they protect their own like you just look at what they have and the biggest weakness I I, I think there I think there are two weaknesses with this team and we all know what number one is and that's the Camden Lewis is in his head and it sucks you feel for the kid but this game against Washington better not come down to a field goal because I'll have negative confidence that he will make the kick I don't frankly care how long it is I don't care if it's an 18 yarder I'm going to be ridiculously nervous but certainly if it's anything over 30 he hasn't made a field goal of over 30 yards in what two months i i I mean he's he's missed a field goal now this is a real stat max he's missed a field goal in six of oregon's last seven games and then there was the bad snap against arizona state so I, i you know take that out of the calculation there but you know that 34 yarder against the beeves or the 30, I think it was a 35 or 34 yarder against USC. You got good conditions. You're at home. And those aren't even like high pressure kicks. Those are just kicks to put the game apparently like, or seemingly out of reach, you know, and and I just worry. And it's, it's clearly been since that Washington kick, he missed it. Oregon loses and it's gotten to him. There's, there's just no other way to put it. So I think that's concern. Number one, Although that concern only comes into play, I think, against Washington if the Ducks keep committing penalties because that continues to be 
a big problem for Oregon. They've had 105 penalties thrown against them or called against them in conference play. And that's a lot. It's among the most in the country. And that's something that has to be cleaned up because if you give Washington second and third chances, we, we, we know what happens at this point. It's pretty wild that they have those two inconsistencies given how strong of a team they are. I think Lewis struggling is, is obviously a huge bummer, especially, you know, as someone who's gotten to, to talk to him a little bit from, from my time covering the team, he's an awesome kid. Um, but that is the reality that they find themselves in. Uh, he's made 10 of his 16 field goals on the year. That is not a good percentage. Not a good percentage. Uh, long of 45. Um, he's made all of his extra points, 61 of 61. Um, but given that, I mean, you you can't find a, a consistent kicker anywhere in college football. It feels like it's so much more unpredictable than the NFL. I think we can probably agree on that one. Um, guys from the NFL it's, are just better. Well, it's more unpredictable than the NFL. That much is for sure. I watch a lot of college football in the Pac-12 and beyond it, and I see a lot of guys making a lot of kicks. I watched the guy at Michigan make some big-time kicks. He had three field goals, I think, and they were all at least 40 yards, and one of them was from 50. So, you know, it's not an easy thing to find because you don't know what a kid's mental situation is going to be when he actually steps on the field and you got tens of thousands of screaming fans coming at you and whatnot. And it's so bizarre to be in this spot too, because Camden Lewis was, I think, second team all conference last year or honorable mention. He was preseason all second team and he'd earned that right. And he was a really reliable kicker last year. He was, I think, 14 of 17 and two of those miss or that might've been the year before. I don't remember, but like, he, he had a good season kicking the ball last year. And then he came out, and in week two, by the way, don't forget, he won the Texas Tech game. If he misses that kick, which was not particularly long, but gosh, it was perfect, and it looked beautiful. That was on the road, hostile environment. He makes that kick, and I'm going, yeah, I, I feel great about this guy. He comes out with a quote after the game and says, yeah, all those people were cheering. And I was just thinking to myself, man, they're all about to be so sad because I'm going to drill this kick. And I'm getting fired up about a kicker. I was fired up about it. And how could you not be? That's what all the evidence was. But it it, it turns out it just takes one kick to shatter your confidence. And that is where he's at. He's drifting the ball to the right every single time. And it's a problem. And, And hopefully Oregon just plays well enough to where the game against the Huskies doesn't come down to that. Hopefully that's the case. Because if you do, you just can't feel good about Oregon in that spot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Talking with Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks on a Monday afternoon Pac-12 championship week. Appreciate you guys tuning into the Ducks Dish podcast. However you're tuned in, whether that's on podcast or YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, do me a favor, like the video, subscribe to the channel. Let's get back to some Duck talk. Talk a little defense, Spencer. I think one of the big concerns that Oregon has right now, or at least noteworthy items, is the status of starting quarterback cornerback Jaleel Florence. Florence did not play in the Oregon State game. He was seen at the game on crutches. Certainly not a visual that would inspire a lot of confidence in his availability against the Huskies in Las Vegas on Friday. But we don't have any new updates on that just yet. We'll see if uh, Landing gets asked about it tonight. But let's just talk about the secondary for Oregon because I think it has improved. From last year, I think I feel comfortable saying that. Um, you're still missing Brian Addison. I think he'd be a valuable piece if he was uh, if he was with the team and playing in the games right now. Um, but that was kind of the last update that we got is that he's away from the team for for personal matters. I think is what Lanning said uh, well over a month ago at this point. Um, but Dante Manning comes in to uh, help fill in the void left by Florence's absence against the Beavs, and he gets an interception. Triquez Bridges has played a lot of ball. Nico Reed's played a lot of ball. So while that would be a significant absence or a loss for Oregon if they don't have Florence on Friday, I think you feel decent about where the depth's at in the secondary. I feel okay. I feel okay because I've watched Dante Manning go against these Washington receivers this year and last year, and it hasn't gone well. And... It was much better with Jalil Florence. Look, he got beat a couple times as well. He also had a couple of really good plays. The good news is you're not throwing in guys that are inexperienced. It's not like Dalen Austin or Roderick Pleasant is suddenly going to have to step in and do something that would be asking far too much of true freshmen who have barely played this year. And I love seeing Dante Manning have a great game. And he did have a great game. You know, he had, uh, I don't think he got credit for it, but, you know, on the fourth and six in the first half that Oregon State went for, you know, Bolden wasn't able to catch the ball, but even if he had, Manning was about to throw him to the turf and he was going to stop him short. And then he had the interception later and he had a couple other uh, of nice moments as well. But those are Oregon State receivers. And, you know, Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould, 
good wideouts. They are not Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk. They they just aren't. And I love seeing Dante Manning, you know, make that interception and showcase the ball skills that have been lacking. You know, he very rarely is completely detached from a guy. I think early last year we saw that from Triquez Bridges a few times where a receiver would create four or five yards of separation if if Triquez really got beat. That doesn't happen with Dante Manning, right? He was a five-star recruit for a reason. He's got high, high-level physical traits. His problem is he doesn't have the ball skills to knock it away. And it was nice to see that. I just struggle getting fully confident in him when I know that he could be doing a one-on-one with Roma Dunze and Michael Penix throwing the ball. Penix is a better thrower than DJ. Adunze or McMillan or Polk are better receivers than anybody that Oregon State has. So, you know, it's an encouraging sign. But I still I, I like Kyrie Jackson a lot. I think that number two corner spot, if Jaleel Florence is not coming back, which it doesn't look like he is, you know, given that he was on crutches last week, that worries me. That 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 legitimately worries me. And I think Oregon safeties this year in coverage have been pretty up and down. I, I think Tysheem Johnson, especially, uh, has had a propensity to get beat a few times. And that, that is the thing that worries me the most. The secondary worries me the most, and that's not great because Washington's strength is, of course, it's wide receivers, and you're not going to have rainy conditions because you're inside in Las Vegas. You're not going to have anything to slow down Washington from throwing the football like against Oregon State when they had to deal with a rainstorm. You're going to have to show up and make plays, and you know hopefully Oregon's up to the task. And Oregon, I think we expect them to do a good job in the trenches, but – yeah, the thing that sucks about Michael Penix is he can kind of neutralize that because he gets the ball out so darn quickly. And I think something that helps Oregon in this matchup is that they've played these guys before. They 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 have film to study from that first matchup, even though it obviously didn't go their way. Um, but it's not like they're seeing these guys for the first time, and we know how hard it is to beat the same team in the same season. And I think that. I agree with you with the, with the secondary. The secondary was honestly my biggest concern heading into the year for this Oregon team. That, that's not to say that they were bad, but I just didn't think that they were on the same level as the D-line, as the linebackers. But they've played a lot of ball together, so that's good. But, yeah, that's there's no doubt that that's going to be the biggest matchup in my mind when they take the field at Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, I, I think so. And you got to be able to pressure Michael Penix. That, that is just – that's the way it is. You you know that if he has time to throw, his receivers are so good and he can just throw it up and let him go make a play, just give him a chance. That's advantage offensive player every single time. That's how Oregon fans would feel about Troy Franklin for sure. And, you know, that's just what they have at, at Washington with their receivers. But here's the thing with Penix. You know, he's made a couple plays outside the pocket this year, but he's not a particularly mobile guy. You know, he's had a couple of injuries and surgeries in, in, in his career. He is deadliest from the pocket, but you know, Arizona state was the first team to kind of show the blueprint of how to slow down the Washington offense. And that is blitz up the middle and force Penix to get off his spot. Cause if you're just trying to pressure from the edge, they've got really good tack. I mean, really, really good tackles, Troy Faltanu and, I forget the other guy's name, but they've Rosengarten, both. I think I Rose Guard. Yeah, that's that sounds right. Those two guys are really good. The interior of the offensive line, they have a young center who's done well, but is not as good as the tackles, and their guards are the weak spots. And that's where Oregon has got to be able to exploit. They they have to be able to get pressure up the middle because that is how 
Penix, you know, can get a little iffy with his footwork. I think that's why you've seen some more high throws from him in the last couple of weeks. It's how you disrupt the flow of their offense and everything that they want to do. I think that's, you know, a, a big key for the Ducks. Uh, and, I, you know, frankly, I thought the defense played very well up in Seattle. And they didn't have the final drive they were looking for. But up until that point, they allowed just seven points in the second half. And I, I think that if they can replicate that sort of formula, that sort of physicality up front that they showed against Oregon State, who also have a good offensive line, although it was banged up, then I think Oregon can can do well in this game. We're, we're getting into some of our Pac-12 title game early thoughts. And, God, one thing that I can't help feeling here, Spencer, I kind of hinted at it a little bit with how hard it is to beat the same team in the same season. Um, that's not necessarily me saying I think Oregon's going to win. I do think Oregon's going to win, but I'm not necessarily saying that's the only reason why. Another big part of it, when I just think about this Washington team, they're good. They are a good team. I will not take anything away from them. But man, they I can't get help but get the feeling that they've been just skidding by by the skin of their teeth. All they that matters been. is that you win. All that matters is that you win. I know people are gonna be like, oh, but you know, we're undefeated, da, 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 whatever. But it's like you just look at how they're winning. Washington State dropped two interceptions in that last drive, it felt like, or late in the fourth, whatever it was, when I was watching some of that game. And I get a little bit of the feeling this this isn't a perfect comparison, but you know how. Utah, like they just kept pulling it out until they ran into Oregon. Utah was really banged up. They didn't have their starting quarterback. That's not the situation with Washington, but it, it just feels like the dam is close to breaking, in my opinion, because they're, they're, they're just not dominating opponents. And you see those weaknesses that are showing up for Washington that, that maybe aren't showing up for Oregon. It's at a neutral site. I think that helps Oregon as well, helps kind of level the playing field from that regard. And we know that both fan bases are going to travel, but – 12 and 0, it doesn't tell the whole story of this team. And I think it, it probably makes them look better optically than I think they really do look. Yeah, I think they, they've definitely taken a step back in the last few weeks. And you, you can point to any number of things to try and find a reason for it. Their defense has, has struggled at, at times for sure. They've, you know, protected Michael Penix well, but not as well as they did, I think, in the first half of the season. I haven't seen the sack numbers, but I think the pressure numbers have been. Uh, a lot greater than they were. They, they are not a completely one-dimensional offense. Dylan Johnson is a much better running back than people realize. Uh, I think he's been really, really good for the Huskies this year, but they're definitely not, you know, as balanced as, as an Oregon, for instance, offensively. And, you know, I, I think the other thing too is they, they have been playing down to the level of their opponent, but they've played up to the level of their opponent as well. They did that against the Ducks and they were favored in that game. They won. Oregon is now a substantial favorite, and I think it's reflective of Washington showing some cracks in the dam and uh, not playing their their best football all the time. I, I don't expect Washington to come out and play the way they did against Arizona State. I, I don't think that that's the sort of effort you're going to see from the Huskies. Yeah, they have been scraping by, and it does feel like they're you know due for a loss. They've just been winning so many one-possession games, not just this year but last year as well. But that's a credit to their coaching staff as well. They're incredibly good situationally. They're incredibly prepared and they execute at a really high level. So if this game does end up being close, I, I would not feel good about, excuse me, I would not feel good about the Ducks' chances there. But Oregon is playing at a higher level week in and week out. 
than the Huskies are, and they are more capable than Washington of not allowing the game to come down to one play, one possession, one field goal, or anything like that. But if it does, teams like Washington sometimes just keep on finding a way, and the Huskies have been doing that every single week. Exactly, they have. So that that's why I feel like I'm trying to look at this with a level head because they're, they're Oregon's rival, but if you just look at the stats, you look at the performances, Oregon is playing better football since they played in October in Seattle. Kind of final thoughts here, Spencer, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, I, I just I look at the cinematic recaps and how the Ducks are playing, and Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, they just look a different type of locked in to me. I don't really know how to describe it. Maybe it's just because Bo is so comfortable. He knows what's happening. He's checking the... He's making the checks that he needs to pre-snap. Dan has these guys pretty locked in, taking it one series at a time. And, um, you know, the, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, like just kind of that savage mentality of trying to pounce on their prey. And, and I think that's something that really gives me some confidence in the Ducks right now. No, I, I love their mentality. I think it's been on display each of the last several weeks. They come out ready to go on both sides of the ball, and they have been starting strong and finishing strong. You know, whether that's the Utah game, the Oregon State game, uh, the Arizona State game, like it, it hasn't mattered. Oregon has come out and really set the tone, you know, early on and, and just kind of establish it and then stayed there. Like they come out and say, we're going to play at this level and we're not going to fall off of it. And that level is really high because of the talent that they have on the roster. So, you know, I fully expect the Ducks to come out uh, ready to roll. Um, I, I am really nervous for the game because a lot of things can still go against the Ducks in in this one because Washington's a very good team with a lot of really, really good players. And I think the other thing, too, that I that has me worried is there is a psychological component to this team. Look at the way they have lost to Washington the last couple of years. you got to be able to overcome that. I think that Dan Lanning, the culture he's establishing in Eugene, is a really, really good one, and they're capable of doing so. But I think that's kind of an under-the-radar hurdle for the Ducks in this spot. If they can get past that, though, I think they win by 10 points. There you go. All right. Yeah, I'm super excited to get out there to Vegas. I get in on Friday morning. Uh, never covered a game in Allegiant Stadium, so that'll be pretty exciting. Ducks are having a special year, and they have the chance to get that much more special, <clears throat> excuse me, that much more special when they face the Huskies for round two in the Pac-12 title game. Before we get out of here, Spencer, let the people know where they can find you and what you got going on. Yeah, I host Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts and almost always have reaction shows on Saturday night. I will have that on uh, Friday night as well, whatever happens in uh, Las Vegas where I'll be covering the game. And I'm on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. If you ever want to pop in there and just say hello or say I suck, you are free to do either one. It's free country. Well, I, I doubt very much that many people are telling you you suck because you are absolutely killing it. Spencer has a huge channel and he's just doing great stuff, super consistent. And I love having him on. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorresports. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Torres. We're on the road to 3K and I really appreciate the support that you guys have been showing. And make sure to read all of my stuff over on Ducks Digest, covering Oregon football and Oregon football recruiting. I know we're all focused on what's happening on the field, but we are less than a month away from the early signing period. And you know recruiting is my bread and butter. So if you want that, I got plenty of it for you. We're going to get out of here. And until next time, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.